Welcome to Notes on Vulnerability, a podcast designed to put stories of resilience, courage and being human at the heart of the conversation. This is the Tools for Resilience series, wellness and mental health chats focused on helping you grow and feel good about who you are. We'll be exploring ideas and practical tools designed to help you get comfortable with the vulnerability inherent in being human and the benefits of embracing it. And we'll reveal ways that working with this vulnerability builds resilience so that you can deepen your resources, adapt more, bounce back better and go on to thrive. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for the extra bonus content. Grief is described as a normal adaptive response to loss. However, it's something that we rarely talk about, sometimes not even when it happens to us. And that can make it feel anything but normal. I've personally experienced a number of different types of grief, including breakups and losing my father last year. Even though I think I know myself pretty well, and I have a lot of emotional tools at my disposal, it was still surprising to me how my grief showed up. And that's why I wanted to do a podcast on this topic, because I know I'm not alone in this. Grief can be an intensely vulnerable feeling, and talking about it, especially getting more information about it, can help to navigate that. Grief can be hard in so many ways, from feeling like you have to finish the process within a time limit, to judging your reactions to be inadequate or somehow wrong. Other people are often not very helpful because we all grieve differently. And each of us will bring a very unique combination of personal history, attachment style, expectations, needs and many other factors to how we grieve. Plus, death is just something no one ever wants to talk about. That's kind of a big problem when it comes to navigating grief because it can come as a huge shock. And that's the reason I'm doing this episode. I'm going to start by defining resilience because I think in this context, it really is important to do that. So resilience is the ability to adapt or transform in your life. It's being able to stay connected to yourself in challenging moments. It's about flexibility, self-acceptance and self-compassion. And it's about being able to adapt and keep supporting yourself and eventually, maybe, to bounce back. But it's not about hiding how you feel, being strong in air quotes and emotionless. It's not about pushing through situations regardless of your feelings or the feelings of others. And it's not about judging yourself for reactions that you feel don't meet some external standard of being human. So when you hear resilience come up in this podcast... It's this flexible, adaptable, compassionate force that we're referring to, not the harsh toughness that resilience sometimes gets mislabeled as. Liz Gleason is an experienced psychotherapist and educator in the field of grief and loss. She has an MA in drama therapy, an MSc in bereavement studies and an MA in counselling and psychotherapy. Plus, she's a qualified open floor movement therapist with a particular interest in how grief manifests in the body. She's also behind the podcast Shapes of Grief, which is about sharing grief stories and the integration that can happen when we open up. Like me, Liz also lost her own father recently. Her approach to grief and grieving is, I think, exactly what many of us need to hear, whatever experiences of life we've had so far. So Liz, welcome. Thanks a million, Alex. It's lovely to be here. So just to kick off, um, can you elaborate a bit on the different types of grief? Because it's not just about bereavement, is it? No, not at all. I mean, grief, as you said in your introduction, I recognise those words. Grief is an adaptive response to loss of any kind. And there's many losses that don't have a hearse. You know, any big change, any big transition, you know, a relationship breakup, 
a redundancy, even moving house, any big transition moving, you know, from A to B means we're leaving something behind. Um, people can suffer grief from the loss of a body part, a breast, a womb following hysterectomy. The loss, losses are everywhere throughout our lives. So what kind of factors influence how we tend to react to those losses? Gosh, good question. And there's so many different types of factors that determine how we grieve. Um, very hard to squeeze it in here, but I'll try. Um, our attachment style, you know, were we securely attached as children or insecurely attached? That has a big factor on how we respond to loss. Obviously, what has been lost? And what, who were they to us? Or what was it to us? You know, how much of our identity was wrapped up in this relationship? Um, our mental health before the loss, our history of loss, what other losses have we gone through? Um, how did the loss happen? Was it expected? Was it sudden? Was it violent? Was it anticipated? You know, there's so many factors that will determine how we respond to any particular loss. And it's really important to say, you know, that we all grieve so differently. Um, I've heard it say grief is as different as your fingerprint, you know, for every person. But we also grieve every kind of loss differently. You know, I will grieve the loss of a friend very differently to the loss of a parent, very differently to the loss of a child or a relationship breakup. So even though we might have experienced a number of losses in our lives, we can still be hijacked by grief um, when we experience a different type of loss later on. Because I think there is this perception that grief is a separate thing from who you are, and it's something that you experience kind of um, in, a, in one way, and that once you've done it once, you'll, you'll be all right for anything that follows. And um, I mentioned at the start that I'd lost my own father, and that has completely blown away all of my ideas of grief. Yeah. So what would you think, what would you say is kind of the most important thing when it comes to facing up to your reactions to grief? You know, just like you say there, Alex, like so many people that I support, one of the first things they say is, I just didn't expect this. There's, this is not what I imagined. Mm -hmm. This is not how I thought I would feel. I think there's something wrong with me. Um, it's really important to say, like we have said, it's an adaptive, normal response to loss, to grieve profoundly. And most of us will find the resilience or the flexibility to cope with grief and to integrate it into our lives with the right information, with support from family and friends. The research tells us that most of us will be okay with that, but about 40% of people will need a little bit of extra support. And they tend to be the people that I would see in my practice, you know, people who are having a little bit of extra difficulty. Um, and like I say, it, it catches people by surprise. Most of us think that grief is a sad period following the death of someone you love. You sit, you cry, you grieve, and then you get on with your life as it was before, just without the person. But grief is a profound often life-altering process for many of us where everything is up for renegotiation. 
every cell in our body is is different. Every cell in our body has been touched by loss and grief affects us emotionally, mentally, often physically, often financially, spiritually, socially, behaviorally. You know, there's very little parts of our lives that aren't touched by a profound loss. Um, and we need to discover who who am I now? I've had this bomb go off in my life, if you like, for some people, if it's not expected. Who am I now? Who do I have to become in order to carry this with me, in order to grow around this so that I can continue to live a meaningful, good life with moments of joy again? You do heal differently after a big loss, don't you? It's like, you know, this isn't just with grief, but anyone who goes through any profound shift in their lives, maybe it's addiction and they go to rehab. Maybe it's a relationship that was absolutely beautiful and it ended unexpectedly. Maybe it's, I can conceive children and I always thought I was going to have a big family. Some sort of seismic shift that we can go through in our lives and we have to adapt. It's it's like we don't have the tools to cope with it until it happens us. And it's only in the happening can we develop those tools. So our brain doesn't learn by reading a book for the day that the crisis comes. Here's what you have to know. Our brain learns through experience. So there are certain events in our lives where the only way we can learn and, and manage this and go through this is to actually get in there with our sleeves up and experience it, experience the shifts that come with that and, and grow to carry that, to accommodate that, to understand that, to become someone who isn't trodden down by it, but someone who can carry it on their back at first seemingly like a big heavy rucksack and eventually like, you know, just a small off the shoulder. That's a bit irritating at times, but, you know, we do learn to, to let our experiences become part of who we are, but yes, they absolutely color who we are to become after them. And it, it feels like one of the biggest, well, one of the things that's quite important is to make space for whatever experience you have, whatever reaction you do have. Um, and I know that I, my reaction was completely not, I thought I'd be emotional um, around the loss. And because I guess that's what I've always perceived grief to be is a, like you said, an outpouring of emotion. Um, and my reaction um, was to just not think about it and to sort of try and compartmentalize it. And that's not what I really do in any other part of my life. So that was quite interesting. Um, and I just wondered if you could elaborate a bit on some of the different reactions for anyone who has that sense that they're not doing it properly, um, the sort of wide spectrum of reactions that people can have, that yeah. maybe some of which are a bit unexpected. Yeah, and another great question as well. And it's true, we all have this Hollywood assumption of what grief looks like. And it usually involves falling to your knees, wailing, you know, being very emotional. And that can absolutely be part of it for many people. Um, you know, like you said in the introduction, my dad, who I was very, very close to, died last year as well. I didn't do an awful lot of crying. 
either, you know. I had a few moments during his illness, you know, where I went to the garden and felt really tearful. Um, but my coping strategy, and essentially that's what we're doing, where we're trying to cope with profound change, was to be busy, was to create things, was to build things. And I actually built an online grief training program, which ended up being a lovely homage to my father, you know, because it's a, it's a, a training and education program um, which I launched online and dad was all about education you know so it was it was a lovely homage to him but there's different styles of grieving and maybe that's what you mean um, Dr Kenneth Doka would have done a lot of research into this and it was discovered that we're either intuitive grievers and that's usually quite emotional we want to talk about our grief we want to talk about the person who's died we want to be comforted or we can be instrumental grievers. Um, that's quite practical. You know, um, how do we fix this? Can I build something? Can I grow something? Can I create something? You know, it's it's sort of facing it and doing something. Um, and we used to say that most women and some men were intuitive grievers, and most men and some women were instrumental grievers. But actually, that's not helpful. It's beyond gender. And Doka has written the book called Beyond Gender. And some people have intuitive grieving styles and some people have instrumental grieving styles. Most of us are a combination of both of them. Um, if we're largely instrumental, it can be helpful for someone to help us tune into that intuitive emotional part and vice versa. If we're largely intuitive, it can be helpful to have people um, supporting us to tune into that practical uh, problem solving part as well. So that's a little bit about the grieving styles, but what you described there about compartmental, compartmentalizing, um, you know, grief is a process. It's not a choice. We don't sit down and go, here's how I'm going to grieve. Here's what it's going to look like. It's beyond our control a lot of the time. It's like you said at the beginning, a lot to do with attachment. Um, it's often a brain response, like a lot is happening in our brains, which like I said, is beyond our control. And it's something we've got to just let happen. You know, we can't, we, you know, we can, if we fully understand it, we can absolutely influence it or support it a little bit. But for most of us, for most of us who are going through a grieving process, we just have to go through it and there's nothing that can really speed it up, if you like. Um, I'm, yeah, I think that's the thing that we're all looking for, isn't it? The quick fix <laughs> does not exist. I think anyone on Instagram, here's how to conquer your ADHD. Here's how to finally lose weight. Here's how to be brilliant at everything. Like, God, we're trying to hack our humanity. Mm. We're trying to stop being human. Like, we're human. We're not perfect. We're not, um, you know, Instagram gurus, most of us. And this is what makes us soft and tender and compassionate. And, you know, it would be a shame to jump over our grief, actually, mm. and be super resilient and bounce over it because we are missing. We would miss out on a process that tenderizes us more than anything you will ever go through in your life it's very humbling 
It's very vulnerable. Yeah. It can often be very scary and very lonely. But when we can come through that, what's created ideally is a human who can see that happening in other people and who will be the one to reach out, put a hand on a back, bring flowers to someone's door, even just give someone a look. I see you. I understand. And God knows we need so much more of that in our world today. Yeah. And it's the moments of grief that feel overwhelming are probably the scariest um, when you really get the, the heavy emotion that sometimes, for me at least, has felt like it's come out of nowhere. But the interesting thing has been, again, for me at least, um, is that after something like that, there's a huge feeling of tenderness and softness and sort of connection and relief that comes from just letting that process through you. Yeah, absolutely. And you said it so beautifully there. It's like there's a difference between grief and grieving. And I tend, the way I define it is, Grief is like the emotion in the moment. It's like that wave that comes through you and it could be fearful, it could be sad, it could be a mixture of everything, but it's just this overwhelming feeling or emotion that comes up from our entrails almost and, and rocks through us. Whereas grieving is the umbrella term, if you like, for the process that we go through over weeks, months or years. Um, and we're we're always grieving something or someone, usually just with the volume up or the volume down. But what you're talking about, that emotion where grief just rocks through the body, people are scared of that because there's what I hear anyway is, you know, there people are afraid if I start, I will never stop. Yeah. And it's because often they let it build up inside them without expressing it. So we've got people walking around feeling like they're pressure cookers and they're terrified. If I take the lid off this, I'm just going to spill everywhere and I'll never come back. This feels bigger than me. I will never be able to pull myself back together again and put the lid back on. And I think that's essentially it. People are terrified of falling apart to such a degree that they will never come back. And I promise you that doesn't happen. And um, it's it's like the weather, you know, if you're to look at the, the way that the Buddhists describe emotion, we're like the sky on any day you look at, there's some clouds passing through. Sometimes the sun passes through. Other times there's a storm, but it's never permanent. It comes into the sky. It does its thing for moments or hours, and then it passes through. And we're like that. We're like that sky. The emotion comes through, whether it's anger, you know, it'll have its way. It'll pass through. It'll, it will change. It always changes. Grief is like that. It comes into us, you know, it'll have its way with us and then it'll pass through. And I think the real suffering comes when we don't allow that, when we try to suppress that, because we are, we then do become like, you know, a, a pot holding on to a storm that can feel terrifying. But just like you said, if we can just sit down, make space for it, allow it to come through us, there is great feelings of tenderness and relief that usually come afterwards. And exhaustion, it can yeah. be really tiring, but it is, it's like taking that pressure cooker and maybe not so much taking the whole lid off and let everything spill out, 
but certainly sort of releasing the valve and letting it out bit by bit, you know, um, can give great relief to what's inside. I think that's those are two really good, like the weather and the pressure cooker. Those are really two good, really, uh, really good metaphors. Um, so I wanted to ask you a bit about what happens during in the brain during grief, especially with implicit and explicit memory kind of I think that that this what this is is the idea that logically you know someone is dead but you can't really process that is that is that right yes did I say that in the webinar last week yeah Um, it really resonated because I spent a long time after my dad died knowing he was dead but wondering where he was yeah I know and I've shivers as you say that And so many people, you know, go, but okay, I know they're dead. I see the body there, but where are they? Where's their essence? How can someone, such a part of my life, just suddenly be nothing, be nowhere? And I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on grief in the brain, but it is an area that I'm really interested in. Yeah, essentially it's this, like our brains, we're all the time mapping our lives you know, who's in our life, where are they, how close are they, both physically, in time and space, and emotionally. And, you know, we have these unconscious maps, which tell us when I walk down the road, the Happy Pear Cafe is going to be there. I'll probably see that guy in front of the coffee shop, in front of the way. I know my children will be in from school at three o'clock. If I think of them, I'm imagining them at their desks in school, And all the time we just have a map of our world and who's in it. And this is like, we we have these maps because it's true all the time. It's what our experience is telling us. My experience is telling me that when I hear my gate at 25 past three, it's one of my kids coming in from school. And that by four o'clock they'll each have come in and I know where they are in the house and what rooms they've gone to. So our brains learn by experience. You know, this is what happens every day. And that's what we call implicit memory. It's just, it's in there, it's in us. And then somebody dies and that's explicit. And we know that, but our brains and all those neural pathways have learned something else. They're still expecting them to come through the gate. They're still expecting them to be at the end of the phone when we pick it up. They're still expecting them to be, you know, in the case of my dad lying in his bed and in Black Rock, somewhere in our explicit memory, because it's our experience and it's been the case for years and years and years, we still expect that. So the process of grief from a a brain perspective is about learning that it's not like that anymore. It's different. And and. And the learning of that is so horribly cruel. It's like they have to die a hundred times or hundreds of times or a thousand times. Oh, I'll ring dad. Oh no, I can't ring dad. Oh, was that dad in that crowd? Oh no, it couldn't be dad in that crowd. And then we get that wave of grief that we, we talked about earlier. So it's like we know explicitly that they're gone, but our brain and body has to learn it. And that's what we call accepting the reality of the loss. Mm -hmm. That can take 6, 12, 18 months to fully digest. They're gone and they're not coming back. 
and this is an interesting point because for many people, they're dealing with the shock of loss in the first year and, and with this trying to update their the maps and their brains. And it's only the second year that the real sadness can kick in. And by that stage, everybody's forgotten that they had a loss at all. And that can be really, really lonely for many people, that second year yeah. um, where there's no distractions and just the reality of the loss is stark. And a lot of our grieving happens there. It sounds like there's, it can affect quite a lot in terms of perspective. And I, I wanted to ask you about how a big loss can affect sort of your identity and how even how like how you see your place in the world in society yeah I mean in terms of identity there's so many strands there um you know if I if I lose my child am I still a mother if my child is dead if they were my only child for example who am I now if I'm not caring for that some of us are carers for many years to spouses or to children um if I was the, the the vicar's wife, who am I now that the vicar is dead? So there's social identity, you know, amongst others. Um, and we do, we have to find out who am I now? If I was somebody's daughter, like in my case, both my parents are dead now and it's pretty much I'm the next generation, you know? How does that change who I am? If the pillars of strength in my life are all dead and gone do I now need to step into that role and become the mentor and the pillar of strength for the generations who are below me you know so it's it's like a rite of passage I guess it's like a you drop a stone into a pond with grief and then you've got the kind of initial the grief that we think we are expecting or know about and then there's all these other ripples of how it affects you in all these different ways and um, and I wanted to ask you also about sta the stages of grief, because that's something which I think is quite problematic in terms of when we feel like we're not grieving properly, because we have this idea that, um, or it's been debunked, I understand, this idea of, you know, certain stages of grief, whether you've been told they're linear or not. Um, but it's something that a lot of people talk about, and it, it isn't, it doesn't work, does it? It's not helpful. No, no. And if I may, Alex, just to go back quickly to what you said there about the ripples, and then I'll come to the stages. Yeah. Um, that's really, really important because, you know, we've this, we call it a primary loss, like saying, you know, your father has died, that's your primary loss. But there are so many secondary losses for many of us that come with a primary loss. We might lose our confidence, we might lose our spirituality, we might lose our friends. Like, do I want to be with that person who has not come near me since my father died? Um, you know, do I want to spend my life working 14 hours a day? If I'm going to be dying at some stage, surely I should be rock climbing or going up to forests or swimming in the sea. So grief does affect us in so many profound ways. And we have primary losses and secondary losses. Um, so just to say that, and sometimes it's the secondary losses that can be even more painful than the primary losses. Um, or, or to save us from really feeling the pain of the primary loss, we get stuck on secondary losses. So we get angry with people who aren't showing up. 
or get angry with the people who say the wrong things, for example. So, you know, just to caution your listeners against that. Um, jumping then to stages of grief, uh, developed by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross when she worked in palliative care. She was an incredible, wonderful human being. And she she noticed these emotions in people who learned of a terminal illness. So they learned they were going to die. And she noticed this, you know, shock, bardening, denial, whatever they are, um, in people who were given a terminal diagnosis. And at some stage, some of her followers, I think it was, applied them to grief. And I don't know how, but they just became embedded in, um, you know, popular culture. And even today, we still see Hollywood churn out movies depicting the stages of grief. And it's so annoying because, you know, first of all, I suppose what she did was great in that it, it put emotion on grief. We can be angry. We can be angry. We can be bargaining. We can be, you know, we can be in denial. And all of that is true. That can absolutely happen in grief. But it can all happen yeah. in one day. It can happen in no particular order. Maybe it doesn't happen at all. But also to sort of give us stages of grief insinuates that there's a beginning, a middle and an end. It insinuates that it's prescriptive. Oh, here's what you're going to go through. And like we said, it's as individual as our fingerprints. It's not prescriptive. It's not linear. There isn't a beginning, a middle and an end. This is really important. When someone you love dies, it alters us profoundly, usually, and we are altered forever. We need to adjust to our new reality. The acute grief, so the really profound grief where we look at our entire life through the lens of loss does settle, it does ease. It's like the volume, you know, with time and as our brain adjusts and with support and love and understanding, that acute, profound grief, the volume does come down on it. But then come to your dad's birthday, you can be right back up there again or during an anniversary, or, you know, in my case, I might see a shovel or a compost heap. My dad was a gardener, or even nothing in particular can just hit me in the entrails, and I get this wave of grief when I'm not expecting it at all. But then I can go back and get on with my life. So that shows me that I've integrated my grief, and yes, I will still have moments of being hijacked by grief, or feeling the profound loss, but I'm able to carry it. It's not impeding how I function. For some people, their brains don't adjust over time. We don't integrate it. The intensity of the grief remains really, really high over a prolonged period of time. And we're not having those moments of reprieve. We're not able to get on with our lives on the day to day. Um, it's really impacting our life in a really negative, difficult way for a prolonged period of time. And you know that's where we might need extra help with our grief. We could be looking at prolonged grief disorder. Some people say it doesn't exist. It absolutely does exist. Some people just something gets stuck there in the way their brain processes and integrates grief and they may need help just to 
not to stop grieving. That's not what we're saying at all. You know, to cry five years after someone you love has died is perfectly normal. What isn't healthy is if five years after someone who has died, I'm still not eating properly. I still can't listen to music. I still haven't gone back to work. And I haven't been able to adapt to my loss. You know, that's the difference. Um, so somebody may need support, extra support there. So this is when grief becomes problematic. Yeah, yeah. And that happens for about 10% of the population. Okay. But, but like I say, to distinguish, you know, if I'm somebody and my child dies five years later, I'm still going to be profoundly um, feeling that loss. It will have changed me unrecognizably, probably. Um, but hopefully I'm able to, you know, speak with peers. I may be able to work again. I don't feel like my life is frozen in time. You know, I am able to experience moments of joy again. And the profound loss is still there, but it's not crippling me. Mm. You know, grief is really problematic if over time it continues to absolutely cripple us in a way that's preventing us from adjusting to life without the person we lost or, um, yeah, just integrating our loss into our lives. This is partly why I wanted to have a definition of resilience at the start of this, because I know um, for me, I think resilience is, is a lot about making space for your vulnerable parts, for the bits that don't feel normal in air quotes um, and accepting the experience you're actually having and working with that rather than holding yourself up to an external standard. So just to explain that to anyone listening as to why grief is in a podcast about that's entitled Tools for Resilience, which a lot of people might think is about the bounce back. It's because I think before you bounce back and the way you bounce back at the time it takes, you know, and whether you do it with a springiness or just one step at a time, it depends on how much space you're able to make for your actual responses, um, which is why I wanted to include that. Anyway. Yeah. And um, just to add a caveat there, we do not bounce back from grief. Like we don't bounce back. The person we become after a profound loss is not the person. We don't bounce back to that person no. after a significant loss, you know? And and in I the context, bounce back is the language that everyone uses around yeah. resilience. And I just, in case anyone's got stuck in the idea that that's what resilience is, yeah. I want to introduce the idea that actually it's much deeper. It's more about self acceptance than propelling yourself into some external expectation of what you should now become. Uh, but yeah, it yeah, I completely agree. You can't bounce back. And in the context of grief, resilience could look like as you said, allowing the grief to come in, allowing that wave to take over, and you could be at your most resilient, curled in the fetal position on your bed, surrounded by tissues. And, and for you, that could be beautiful flexibility. I'm normally someone who doesn't allow myself to be emotional or, or to give in to the wave of grief. And I, I recognize my body really needs this. And I'm I'm going to allow myself to experience this. That could be the most flexible or resilient thing you do that day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I thank you for saying that, because I think that's really important. We get stuck in the idea of resilience as being this sort of perfect 
you know, someone on a mountain gritting their teeth and looking, you know, visibly strong really just has nothing to do with that. So for anyone who's listening to this, I know we've covered, you know, responses and 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 that kind of thing. But if someone's listening to this, um, feels like a loss, is feeling a bit overwhelming, what would you say is a starting point um, from sort of, I don't want to say dealing with it, because that's the sense of like, you've got to deal with it, get it done. But, but what could they do to help themselves? First of all, I'd say I'm sorry. This absolutely sucks. And I'm sorry that you're going through this. Um, this is normal. If you're feeling it, it's because you, you've loved and you're, you've got capacity to love and be loved. That's a good thing. It can be terrifying. It can cause intense anxiety. It can feel overwhelming for everyone. You're not broken. There's nothing wrong. Keep going. Sometimes that's all we can do is just get through the day. Um, and, and that's really normal. You can't fix this. But what I would say is, you know, while we don't have stages of grief, there's lots of other good theories out there which can be really helpful. You know, we learn to face our grief and then have a break from it, dose it. We learn that we mightn't have the person we love in time and space, but we have them in our hearts still and we want to keep them there. How do we continue a relationship with them? We learn that talking about them and talking about their death can really help us process it. So grief is like, you know, it's like a learning experience. Yes, we can't, we can't avoid it. It's going to happen in our lives, but we can learn about it because as you opened up with, our society doesn't teach us about grief. We're all going to face it, but nobody's teaching us about it. So we can learn how to be uh, following profound grief by reading books, listening to podcasts, talking to each other about it, normalizing it a bit. And that's what I would say to people, make space in your life for your grief and make space in your life to learn about grief and who you are in grief. What happens if you're grieving someone that you had a really challenging relationship with or no relationship with? Good question. And it's it's different for everybody. Um, it, it, it's funny, I find with a lot of people that I support, almost the grief is easier to integrate when there's been a strong, loving connection because we're not ruminating, you know, that repetitive thought patterns about what I could have done differently or if only we'd got on better or if only I'd reached out to them sooner or how could it have been? So I guess it gets tricky when it's someone we didn't have a relationship with or we had a poor relationship with, if we have regrets and we're looking backwards a lot. We know that when we ruminate and look backwards a lot, that can get us into trouble and grief. I mean, a degree of that is absolutely normal and to be expected. But um, if we're doing that all the time, that can become problematic because like I said, we're looking backwards rather than moving forwards all the time, rather than just some of the time. So I usually finish these podcasts by asking the guest, what's your one note on vulnerability? 
So that's the one thing you'd like listeners to take away from our conversation about the vulnerability inherent in grief. Yeah, it's so vulnerable. Um, I often say to people, we can feel like a four-year-old child. You, know, you can be a, a 60 year old woman, but feeling inside like a four-year-old child. You know, it's it, we are like toddlers pulled away from our caregivers when someone we love dies, because just as the parent regulates that little toddler, so too do our loved ones regulate us throughout our lives. And when one of them dies, it's so dysregulating. And I think we just have to be so profoundly kind to ourselves, to that like inner vulnerable child who is absolutely screaming for their person back. You know, self-compassion in bucket loads is absolutely essential. You, you can't escape that vulnerability. But what we can learn to do is just to put nice warm blankets around ourselves and make cups of tea and try and at least feel, make ourselves feel safe in the vulnerability. Thank you. Um, that's been such a, an interesting conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thanks for inviting me, Alex. And I hope it's been helpful to someone. And if anyone would like to learn more, it's on shapesofgrief.com. Come and visit. And I will put that in the show notes. Thank you very much. Super. Thanks, Alex. Bye. We've actually come to the end of season two, Tools for Resilience. So I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who's supported the podcast, who's listened, who's given me a review, who has come on as a guest or just told your mates about it. I am so, so grateful. If you found these episodes useful, please do go to Spotify or iTunes and give us a review because it's so helpful when it comes to reaching out to other people. And do support the Instagram, which is at Notes on Vulnerability, as this is where you'll be able to find out more about the next series, which is going to be about resilience at work, tackling all those areas of vulnerability that we feel in the workplace, from being a highly sensitive person to imposter syndrome and shame and social conditioning, and how more resilience and opening up to vulnerability can actually help you to navigate all of that stuff in a different way. I'm Alex and I'm a resilience coach and if you miss the sound of my voice <laughs> please do come and find me over on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Alex Shore, S-H-O-R-E coaching. Thanks again for being a supporter of this podcast and if you have any questions, suggestions, inquiries etc then drop me a DM on Instagram.